From 2002 to 2008, World Wrestling Entertainment produced the Ruthless Aggression Era. Ruthless Aggression! As a power vacuum formed in the wake of wrestling's biggest boom period, WWE producers and superstars alike worked to reinvigorate their company and recapture success and acclaim. In the process, a string of future Hall of Fame level talent rose to the top and enjoyed crossover appeal in the public consciousness. We're going to take a trip back in time and travel through this amazing period in WWE history. The matches, the storylines, the home media and more. Every triumph and every heartbreak. Whether you were watching as it all unfolded, or you're here to learn about this era for the first time, this series will have something for you. This is Ruthless Aggression Relived. Ruthless Aggression! Since our last episode. To honour the arrival of the brand split, Monday Night Raw debuted a brand new look, featuring a new intro with theme music by Union Underground, a new logo, and a giant parallelogram titantron. Nice. In an effort to cut Ric Flair's legs out from under him, Vince McMahon named Hulk Hogan the number one contender to the undisputed WWF Championship. Triple H made it clear he wouldn't play nice with Hogan just because he enjoyed watching him as a kid. Both Vince McMahon and Ric Flair courted Stone Cold Steve Austin in an attempt to get him to sign with their respective brands. Austin signed with Flair's Raw brand, but made it perfectly clear he wasn't going to play nice just for the sake of it. Austin and The Undertaker both won number one contendership matches, with the two earning a match against one another to determine who would challenge for the WWF Championship after Backlash. Spike Dudley outsmarted William Regal in back-to-back -back encounters to pick up the WWF European Championship. Trish Stratus earned the ire of Molly Holly, who was sick of the women of the WWF being made out to be sex objects. Molly, who was clearly afraid of jazz, formed a loose alliance with the WWF Women's Champion. Raven won the WWF Hardcore Championship from Maven. What? But as he joined the commentary team on Sunday Night Heat, he lost the belt to Bubba Ray Dudley. Naturally, the hardcore title switched hands loads anyway, but Bubba was generally the continuity champion for most of this period, beginning a singles run in which he pleased the crowd with his entertaining antics. Eddie Guerrero made a shocking return to the WWF by attacking Intercontinental Champion Rob Van Dam, who Eddie saw as disrespecting him for daring to also use the Frog Splash as his finisher. Bradshaw and Kane ran afoul of the NWO, with Kane being incapacitated by the villains and leading to old enemy X-Park stealing Kane's mask. Booker T and Goldust formed an alliance, which Booker didn't particularly want any part of, but which was beginning to see results. Jacqueline beat up Crash a couple of times. It was funny. Brock Lesnar continued his rampage, destroying pretty much anyone Paul Heyman pointed him at. The Hardy Boys, Matt and Jeff, became Brock's target when Matt's girlfriend Lisa refused to give panty pervert Paul Heyman what he wanted, presumably a look at her bum. Test 
decided to test the limits of his immunity by being an absolute prick to everyone, particularly known badass Farouk and the actual world's strongest man Mark Henry, because why do things by halves? Test rules. Albert beat the absolute dog shit out of Scotty Too Hotty and ended their tag team, with Rikishi reuniting with Scotty to help him out. Tajiri lost the WWF Cruiserweight Championship to Billy Kidman and blaming manager and girlfriend Tori Wilson, forced Tori to dress in a kimono and follow a code of ringside conduct most geisha would think was a bit oppressive. Edge got under Kurt Angle's skin and played a series of practical jokes on the Olympic hero, which made him look a bit of a tit. Chris Jericho generally did nothing of note, but don't worry because that's actually intentional as we'll see later in today's episode. A number of upcoming talent enjoyed dark matches on Jacked, Metal and Heat to prepare them for their impending debuts. Despite the pleas of sex enjoyer Val Venus, the Godfather was forced to leave the prostitution business because he was operating at a loss. Of course I didn't make that up. Sean Stasiak acted like a cunt. Hello, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time it is for you guys out there, welcome back to Ruthless Aggression Relived with me, LT Fletcher, and this week I am joined by a long-time friend of mine, one of my running buddies from New Legacy Inc., someone who's being described as Australian. It's the award-winning Duel. How are you, Duel? Who, who said that? Who said I was Australian? Well, it was just, it's more of a rumour I've heard on the grapevine, to, to tell you the truth. I've, I've, ne I've never heard that. <laughs> never been more insulted in all your life, I can tell from the tone of your voice. How are you doing, man? I'm, I'm great, I'm great. It's been, a, it's been a hell of a week. We are just shy of a week removed from WrestleMania, and all of a sudden it seems that wrestling is perfectly back to normal. Uh, <laughs> no, nothing has changed. <laughs> what, a, what a show that was. I have still not watched the second night, I'm going to be honest. For the first night, I really liked. I thought, on the whole, pretty good stuff. Alright, no, no spoilers, but second night, not as good. That's pretty much what I've heard. I am looking forward to watching Sammy, uh, Sammy Zane and Johnny Knoxville work through a bunch of slapstick, though. That does appeal to me in a very real sort of way. <laughs> that, was, that was the high point of the show. Excellent. Um, so, today, though, we are going to jump slightly back in time. We're not looking at a pay-per-view from 2022. We're looking at a pay-per-view from 2002. We are, in fact, looking at Backlash 2002, the first pay-per-view of the Ruthless Aggression era. We've got a main event in which we are going to see Triple H defend the WWE... No, the WWF still. WWF! Yes, e, the E has not happened yet. We're, uh, we're a couple of weeks away from yeah, the not E off. replacing the F. This is actually the last pay-per-view in America under the WWF name. We've got one yes. more to go, and that's... Uh, Coming up soon, so you guys get to look forward to that one in a couple of episodes of time. But yes, main event, WWF Championship on the line, Triple H defending against Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Excellent stuff. Aren't we all thrilled about seeing Hulk Hogan in the main event in 2002? H Hogan's first challenge for a WWF title since 1993, LT. Mm, nine long years, but what a career he had in the meantime. But before that... 
we've got a whole show full of matches, and some of them are some of them are winners, some of them are losers. Uh, but before we jump into that, why don't you tell our lovely listeners a little bit about yourself and your sort of memories of this kind of period, Duel, and uh, your your history of your wrestling fandom, so to speak? Oh, this this would be very early on in my wrestling fandom, I believe. Upon moving to a new city, some of my neighbours were big fans of wrestling, and upon going to their house for whatever reason it was, I don't remember, I saw them watching a WWF show, and I stood there and I watched, and that was pretty much the beginning. Your life they invited me over. forever. Yeah, that was, that was the beginning of 2001. I was invited to their house again to watch WrestleMania X7, and and it was all downhill after from that, there. <laughs> after that, yes, the rest was history from there. That's a that's a good sort of starting point, though. The greatest was uh, it? Great, well, was it? You know, greatest WrestleMania having to live all. through having to live through the invasion era as <laughs> as, as my first look at professional I, wrestling. I am a staunch invasion defender, and I will hear no slander uh, against it. I, I'm one of the weirdos. <laughs> so, what, what kind of do you have? Any kind of particular memories of like of the ruthless aggression era? In, in you know, any any favorite moments or wrestlers? Well, I know one favorite yeah, wrestler the, you have, of course. <laughs> like one of my biggest memories was uh, no, what was it? No Way Out two thousand and one, the ladder match between Edge and Christian after they broke up. Mm. That that turned me into a hardcore wrestling fan, looking online and finding more in, as much information as I could. That's It's kind of interesting you mention that, actually, because I think this is kind of the period that the online wrestling community was really starting to become more of a thing. It's, yeah, we were both part of the the oh Nerdy Q forums. Oh, yeah. D- you, you are dating us now. Nerdy Q don't even have a forum. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they've had a forum in about They barely have a website now. <laughs> There's lots of angry people shouting in the comments, who we, we've all learned today uh, are all bots. They're not real, according to Tony yes. Khan. <laughs> so that's excellent stuff. Um, so are you ready to jump into it, Dooley Man? I believe so. I have my notes oh, in front right. of me. Yeah, we got, we got copious notes for this one. Before we get to that, I have a couple of things to say about the show itself. Oh, okay. It's it's April 21st, 2002. We're in the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri. Yes. That, that should bring up a couple of memories, shouldn't yes. it? Yes, uh, that was, well, tragically, of course, uh, the previous show that the WWF ran there was uh, the event where Owen Hart lost his life. Uh, absolutely yeah. hor- horrendous incident, obviously. Um, WCW ran a few shows there afterwards, actually. But this was the first time the WWF had gone back, so... Uh, it's at least the first pay-per-view since then. Sure, they yeah. I think they may have done house few, shows. Probably done some house shows and some Raws, maybe. But, yeah. First sort of major event. So, kind of weird. Like, it, it's, it's nice that, like, the people of... Of this, you know, of Kansas, uh, it never, it never put them off. You know, something yeah, completely the, horrible. Yeah, the like attendance that. is pretty damn good. Twelve thousand four hundred eighty-nine. Very, very strong. It, it's obviously a good wrestling town. You know, they're obviously, you know, completely of awful course. tragedy. You, do, you know, I, I guess they 
maybe they just took a little bit of solace in having that wrestling fandom to help them get through it. Maybe, maybe. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's not it's not a tragic evening like that. Unfortunately, I mean, well, some of some of the matches are uh, uh, yeah. some of the matches are a little bit of a tragedy, <laughs> but nobody, nobody loses their life. So so yeah, apparently also uh, about four hundred thousand estimated uh, pay per view buys. The buy rate, yeah, bars. that's not that's pretty good uh, going. It's, really, it's Trump. It's it's half, more than half of Mania X8, but that's just to be expected. Sure, I mean WrestleMania always has like a way bigger, like a way bigger number than everything else on the calendar. But to, to be fair, Backlash has always been kind of a minor pay per view. Joining us here in this pay per view on commentary, we have Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler in this hook themed pay per view with all these dangling, horrendous, dangerous oh, hooks the, flailing yeah, about. The, tr- the trusses shaped like hooks. Flowing around in the wind, it looks like. It's a very weird set design. I kind of like the bizarrely positioned Minitron and the fact that a bunch of the wrestlers come within inches of being walloped by the hooks. <laughs> Luckily like, they move you, out of the way. You, you can you can see them like coming really close to hitting them a couple of times and then like obviously being slowed manually so whoever's like operating them is like shit fucking I've nearly killed that shit <laughs> someone's gonna be watching non-stop <laughs> so yeah we open the show with a little video package Hogan and Triple H discuss what their title match means to one another and Hunter even uses his catchphrase in this business I was about to say that I'm crossing <laughs> that off my ruthless aggression relive bingo card yeah man one of, the, one of those funny little verbal takes that Triple H has um, that fans kind of picked up and I think probably inspired him actually using it as his actual catchphrase when he was doing the authority thing. So opening match of the evening then, we got Tajiri versus Billy Kidman with the Cruiserweight Championship on the line. Uh, since the last pay-per-view, Billy Kidman has captured the Cruiserweight Championship and Tajiri has become a massive fucking misogynist. I mean, if you call dressing Tori Wilson in a not very revealing kimono misogyny, <laughs> I guess that's true. Like, I, I, do you know what, actually, it's weird because Tajiri is kind of, pres- well, he is the heel, but it's, you, you know, the whole storyline is, oh, he's making Tori be, you know, submissive, he's making her sort of kowtow to him at ringside. And it, now that you've said it like that, it's like, yeah, she's actually wearing much more conservative clothing than she <laughs> like in a way that's probably a good thing. So well done to Jiri. Tajiri gets Tajiri gets the most hate of the night for his entrance just because of that kimono. Just, just because all the guys in the audience would rather yeah, see Tori wanna... in a bikini. <laughs> They'd much rather that. And so would Jerry Lawler on commentary oh, as he gets he very does not shut the fuck up about this this does not age very no. well a lot of uh, like we've mentioned on the previous episode a lot of lawless stuff has aged very badly but th- like this in particular like the whole the whole storyline basically being <laughs> free the nipple like a decade or two before we had that you know it's really weird but oh well like i i what, what did you reckon of like th- this as a matchup cuz i mean these are two like top-level cruiserweight talent, I think. I thought it was the perfect way to open the show, as yeah. as WCW tended to do with their cruiserweight division. Yeah, a good little crowd warm-up. Like, I think I think it's well kind of important to have the cruiserweights sort of... Because at this point, the, the belt's not been on the pay-per-views for months, like, since the middle of the previous year, really. Uh, so having them. Yes, they unified it with the WCW belt. Yes. Um, 
but I think it's really it's really good to see what they can do and like have this reminder that actually you're going to get a different style of wrestling, particularly since it's going to be one of the selling points of the SmackDown brand. So having this match to say like you know hey tune in SmackDown you'll get cool shit like this, that's a pretty neat way to open the show I think. I agree. I agree completely. You've got to you've got to bring the crowd up with some very exciting stuff to get them prepared for what's coming up next. <laughs> God, don't you just? I like. I thought this was this was kind of a kind of a highlight reel for both men. Really, they you know both doing Tajiri in particular sort of running through the old favorites. We get the tarantula, the buzzsaw kick, a handspring attempt, which Kidman uh, blocks. Tajiri's very vocal tonight. Um, he is screaming. <laughs> I noticed you put one on Twitter. I'll see if I can yes, insert the, the, clip the knee drop. The it's so funny. Established their relationship. We have seen Tajiri change before our very eyes. Um, he has a. He gets. There's one point he gets Kidman in the tree of woe in the corner, and he well, moves back to prepare to attack him. And he just yells, <laughs> "Shut up! Shut up!" <laughs> So good. Uh, th- there's a fan sign in the audience. I don't know whether you spotted this. It's a very highbrow uh, wrestling fan sign uh, referring uh, to the wrestling superstar Kurt Anal. Ah, uh, the one with the picture of his. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let, never there's quite let it a lot fair. of interesting. There's quite ne- a lot of interesting signs in the crowd tonight. Yeah. Never let it be said that wrestling fans aren't a, a clever, witty bunch, you know. Do you know, honestly though, like I, I do miss fan signs because like we don't get them these days. You, you speak of witty, and and that just makes me think <laughs> of all the horrible commentary lines King's dropping, like calling Tajiri. He's not too smart. The next thing you know, Tajiri will take all the money he makes in the WWF and open a tall man shop in Tokyo. Just getting real racist. Does not age well at all. It probably didn't age well about three seconds after he said it. In fact. <laughs> it's true. King's like there, there's part of you that like because he's playing a character and he's being so extreme. You kind of want to, you kind of do want to laugh sometimes. But then he says things like that, and it's like, well, that's just racist, you know. That I. It's weird, you know. I I can't. I I can. I'm totally on board with him, like siding with the heels and like you know being a dickhead to Jr. and all that. But when it enters into the territory of racism and sexism, it's eh, no, thank you, no, thank you. Yeah, it's that's just the that's just the style at the time of we're still coming off the Attitude Era. Yeah, still pushing the old envelope. I don't know if you noticed this in particular, but the ringside mats, my God, they're polished. Oh, they were they were so shiny. <laughs> shiny, they, like a brand new bottle of wax has gone onto those things. I, like I've never seen them glisten like this on any other wrestling show. I don't know whether they were new mats or what, but very strange. Uh one very odd spot at one point in this. Kidman is pinned off a German suplex by Tajiri. Um, oh yes. The referee counts two. Then Tajiri rolls through for extra leverage and gets a two count. Another two, yes. But Kidman's shoulders never left the mat, so Tajiri technically got a four count. I mean, what that's all about. I mean, he transitioned from a pin to another pin, so I guess it was technically two pins. Yeah. Tajiri's the double champion, as far as I'm concerned. Sure. But uh, ending of the match is quite fun. Uh, Tajiri sets Kidman on the top turnbuckle, scales up it. 
Kidman launches him off with a, a massive top rope BK bomb, gets a two. Kidman goes for another BK bomb, but Tajiri sprays him with the red mist, which is, of course, the burning mist. The burning mist, yes. And rolls Kidman up for the win and regains the championship, but doesn't stop being a big old grump. Yeah, solid match in... Ended in nine minutes. It's a very, mm, very good little It didn't feel match. like nine minutes. It felt, felt like really quick, I thought. Really, really yeah, they were moving pace. so fast. Never really slowed down. No. Like like you say, really good one to start the show with. Particularly since we are about to slow it down for several matches in <laughs> oh a row. Oh my really. god. Uh, after the match, Michael Cole interviews Tajiri. But since he doesn't speak Japanese and Tajiri doesn't speak English, the interview is somewhat short. Not really sure what the point of that was. He was probably saying something very misogynistic as... Probably. It's the gimmick at the time. Uh, as, was the, as was the style at the time. <laughs> <laughs> we, we get a little backstage segment where the APA reunite for the first time since the brand split, which was only about two weeks ago at this point, so, you know, you'd you think that they hadn't That's seen one another so in months. It's been so long. But... We, we, missed the, we missed the APA. Yeah. Uh, but the reunion is cut short as the music of the NWO hits as Bradshaw heads toward the ring for his match against Scott Hall. Uh, Scott Hall is accompanied by X-Pac, and... Here comes the poison, LT. The the poison has been does injected not same, into does the not, veins. Does not have the same ring as Here Comes the Pain. It does. <laughs> Wouldn't have looked right on the LPS2 box. Uh, i got a question. Is there any sure. theme in wrestling history that more clearly <laughs> says you are about to get the fuck knocked out of you than the APA theme? Oh. Oh, you play No Mercy and this this song becomes trauma. <laughs> this, this is a traumatic PTSD song. theme is what it is. Like, I've got some backup. No, please, God. <laughs> get ready for the... Get ready for the handicap match in the parking lot. Jesus. Um, so, so Bradshaw's coming out here, and he we didn't mention it, but he's fighting for the honour of his fallen APA room that got destroyed by the NWO. Yeah, they they showed up on Raw and trashed the... Uh, the, the office. Uh, the office, yeah, that's the, the word I'm after. Uh, the door and the chairs and the <laughs> Which is such a funny gimmick, I love it, but it's like... Bradshaw sort of reacting as if it's a real office that's been smashed and not just, like, a table. So, X-Bark uh, tries to... He, he sort of intends to make this match a two-on-one, but out comes Farouk! Uh, and the yes. APA reunites. It, it could have it been three-on-one, but Nash was suspended indefinitely without pay. Yes, for being a big, meanie, rude person to Ric Flair. Yes. Pro- probably just something. I, like, I don't know what the, the actual reason for that is. Pro- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, probably didn't want to work, or just, I don't know, maybe he had like some minor injury he was working through. But yeah, Nash is uh, currently off TV, but he, like he's not actually suspended in real life. Um, this is kind of weird, though. We've got this big APA reuniting moment, and they've realistically not really broken up in terms of time apart, but whatever. Uh, it's the, been a like, couple of weeks. Yeah, the fans are the you know fans go mad for it. They are well into the APA. They're Who isn't it. really? They're they're so cool. They're well. They're just they a pair the of shit guys out of everyone. <laughs> exactly. So, listen, sometimes 
I don't know if I don't know how you feel on this one, but for me, sometimes I want to watch a nice technical wrestling match. Sometimes I want to watch some good old chain wrestling. Sometimes I want to watch a bit of high flying. Sometimes I just want to watch a big bastard knock the fuck out of someone. And honestly, these two scratch that's, that edge in a very real way. That's <laughs> and we got that with Bradshaw and Scott Hall. We did mostly one sided. What was quite funny in the early going for this one, uh. The crowd, while these two guys are beating the toss out of one another, the crowd are paying more attention to X Pac and shouting X Pac sucks. <laughs> the classic X Pac, as he, they called it. The the poor old bastard, he cannot get a fucking break. <laughs> he's trying his best, they just yeah. hate him. They, well, he, he does have one of those slimy, bloody faces, doesn't he? Where you, you just want to give him a smack. Ever since he broke Kane's heart. Farouk beats the tar out of him. Uh, Hall kind of leans into the comedy in this one. He's sort of wobbling and stumbling all over the place. Yeah, he, he starts he starts the match by throwing the toothpick. Yeah, throws the, throws the old toothpick at Bradshaw and then gets knocked on his ass for it. <laughs> Just pissed Bradshaw off. <laughs> I, like, th- this was not a very pretty match, it's got to be said. Um, if you're like Scott, looking at a Bradshaw, if you're looking at a Bradshaw match, you're not looking for a five-star nah. classic. Like Scott Hall's a he's a very competent wrestler, and I think he realized, listen, there's fuck all point trying to work a proper match for this one. Let's just have a fight. And that's fine. Uh we got th- there's a moment in the match where like it felt like all the momentum just completely fell out. Like Bradshaw took Hall down with a shoulder block, and they they have like a yeah. double down, and then like the crowd just die. And the match dies. Um, That's pretty much the end of the match at this point, though. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, Bradshaw evades a a charge from Hall, gets a massive clothesline from Hell, which is cool as hell. Destroys him, but... Um, But X-Pac puts Hall's foot on the bottom rope. Uh, Listeners, this is called foreshadowing for the main event. (laughs) Or one of the main events, the semi-main. Uh, Xbox slaps Bradshaw and then runs oh, away like a what, small What child. a terrible idea. <laughs> um, he gets punched into Farouk by Bradshaw and gets the shit knocked out of him. Um, as the referee is sort of occupied, Hall uppercuts Bradshaw in the balls and rolls him up, grabbing the tights for a three and the win. So, yeah, congratulations, Scott Hall. You punched a man in the dick and won, I guess. Short little match, six minutes forty two seconds. After it, it was... ended, I completely forgot it happened. Yeah, it was it was kind of a time filler one. Like I, f- it feels like this is kind of the beginning of them pushing Bradshaw, but I think they obviously realised they needed something a bit more because he's getting he's getting a singles push on Raw during this time, but it's not quite clicking. And then obviously, what we get in the following year. Everything falls into place. So. Yeah, so it's the beginning of Bradshaw's run, but it's the beginning of the end for Scott Hall. In oh yes, WWF. unfortunately, he's he's only got a few weeks left, unfortunately, um, and he will be on his way out. We'll be we'll be covering that particular incident when we cover insurrection because that led directly into the incident. <laughs> Ooh. So Ooh. backstage, Vince McMahon walks around as happy as a dog with two dicks. Uh, he enters Ric Flair's office and gloats about the NWO winning, and then he's, you know, he's just doing a little bit of mind games, trying to get inside Flair's head. 
saying that you know there's no way the roster will be satisfied with anything that Flair does, and he might as well just do what he wants to run the show in the way that Vince would. Uh, he says, putting make, Flair making himself the special guest referee in the number one contenders match uh, makes Vince wonder if he's a fool or if it's a stroke of brilliance. There's a really great line in this promo. Flair says, I'll never, I'll never be like Vince McMahon. And mm. Vince says, well, you can try. With his big <laughs> grin on his face and offers the handshake. Yeah, but of course, Flair refuses the hand because he's a goody. For now, anyway, not it's not going to last very long. Cool. Yeah, it's it, it's this is another weird one as well because we had the draft and it was like Flair's on Raw, Vince on SmackDown, and then within a week, Vince showed up on Raw. So it just it, it just kind of felt like they weren't particularly sticking to it in the early go. They they do get better with like defining the lines between the brands, but I, I don't I know. Have a f- I have a feeling that they think the ratings are going to go down if Vince is not on the show. I can Pushing see the Vince story between that, yeah. Vince and Rick forward. Mm. I think it, you know, it, 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 the story kind of worked itself out in the end. But you're probably right. I mean, particularly because obviously there was a little bit of uncertainty around Stone Cold, so maybe Vince wanted, you know, the extra, the, you know, as many cards on the table as he could have, as many uh, as many pieces moving to get people watching Raw. Sure. So, up next then, we have Trish Stratus challenging Jazz for the WWF Women's Championship. Uh, quick note on Trish Stratus's enten- uh, entrance. Uh, wowzer. Oof. Yeah, big, big oof. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm sorry. I know we were, I know we were criticizing Jerry Lawler earlier, but you know what? I yeah, that's a very beautiful woman. Sometimes it's okay. <laughs> That's Trish, a very beautiful. Trish comes woman, out man. for a match, but Jazz's theme doesn't hit. No, we get Molly Holly instead, and that's good news because Molly Holly is the best, and I love her. So Molly tells Trish that the people don't want their champion to be a cheater or someone that flaunts their body around, which is quite funny because uh, during the storyline they led up to this, Molly herself had cheated to beat Trish. So obviously the, of the hypocrisy of the heel. Uh, she the shows match, Trish in the match on Raw. Molly tried to win by grabbing the grabbing the pants, but uh, Trish rolled her through that pin into her own. Tried to grab the pants, but did not for the three. So yeah, she did kind of cheat. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Molly assures Trish the people want their champion to be pure and wholesome, which I think is the first time that Molly mentioned that. That kind of becomes her catchphrase. Uh, she hits Trish in the face with her mic and then dumps her outside. And as she throws Trish into the ring steps, Jazz heads to the ring. Jazz wastes absolutely no time throwing Trish back in and beats the dog fuck out of her. LMAO is what I've got written on my notes. <laughs> 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 I had she... I had uh, Jerry Lawler mentioning on commentary that they had a parade for Molly Holly on the Virgin Islands, and JR parrots the Virgin Islands as if <laughs> we wouldn't get it <laughs> yeah. unless it was pushed into our face. <laughs> like I said, yeah, it it. What a weird fucking storyline, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure like, what's happening. Right yeah, now. I I. I don't like now. Speaking as someone who was a, in their early teens at the time when this was on sure. TV, yeah. why would you make out that it's a 
bad thing to be a virgin? <laughs> like, a substantial <laughs> number of your audience just, are going we're to We're still be? in the Attitude Era, <laughs> LT. Like, I, I mean, I get boobs. that. I get, yeah, yeah, I know boobs, boobs and sex and, and butts. Yes. They're great, and I love them, and they're cool. Hooray for breasts, big fan. But, like, what? <laughs> Molly, Molly doesn't want us to see breasts, though, and that's bad. Ah, uh, that is bad. You are right. That is a bad thing that she's doing there. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Uh, I'll tell you something else that I picked up on on the commentary. Um, King makes a series of comments about Jazz's appearance, and, dear listeners, oh. if you think that's going to be a short-term thing, then boy, am I sorry. God. Jazz is it's... working her Jazz is working her ass off in this match, though. Oh god, yeah. We're we're still in that point where Trish is not quite there. Like she she still needs to go back in the oven a little bit to be fully formed as a wrestler. But she's like she's getting there. But Jazz is the one she's, pretty much doing all the at work. At this point, even if she's not as good, she's still better than. Besides Jazz, and I don't know if Victoria's debuted yet, but she's better than. 90% of the rest of the women on this Oh, on this by roster. far. By far. I, like, I, this, this last month, they've kind of had like a mini-feud with Trish uh, getting into it with Jazz and Ivory, and I think that's... I, it feels very deliberate that they're putting Trish against these like seasoned uh, women's wrestlers that really know what they're doing, so they can jazz, help her... Jazz, Ivory, Molly, it's all yes. really working to improve the, Trish. Yeah. Because they obviously know that Trish is the most popular woman on the roster. Like the fans absolutely adore her. That's not in question. So it's like, well, we might as well make her a good wrestler, you know, if we can, <laughs> so we can properly push her as the face of the division, which is the way to do it, really. And very much contrary to how uh, a little period not too long after this era would do it, but never mind. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're you know we're kind of we're kind of getting there with Trish. But like I said, there's, yeah. there's still a little work to do. There's a couple of cool spots in this. Uh, Jazz gets a, a neat little sit-down powerbomb for a two-count at yes. one point. The Liger bomb, Which is yes. very cool. Um, Trish goes for the Stratisfaction. Jazz turns it into a sidewalk slam, which was oh, a pretty neat counter. Oh, that was counter. so good. Uh... Ja- the Jazz at one point goes for a surprisingly shit-looking Boston Crab, and then she obviously realizes it looks terrible and switches it into an STF, which looks well better. Trish, Trish was Trish dragging herself to the rope. Trish was dragging herself yeah. to the ropes, but yeah, Jazz decided to drag her back to the middle and turned it into the STF. The the move made was, famous by John Cena. <laughs> yeah, it was a very Cena esque STF. With the, it hmm. looked more like a sleeper than an, than the face. Yeah, look. not not quite as uh, not quite as perhaps as snug as it should be. Maybe, but yeah, Trish Trish submits, and that's that's pretty well that quick little match. What was the what was the running time uh, on this one? Couldn't four minutes, one. four minutes twenty nine seconds. So, so not even a five in, minute match. Yeah, we're still in this this point where. The women are kind of having to make do with they're, with their space on the card. Doing the, they're doing the best with what they have. Oh god, they are absolutely. Sometimes that just results in them getting a couple of minutes of nothing in particular. But yeah, you know, sometimes you get a do couple you, of good little spots. Do you have any idea who this is that comes out to interview Jazz after the match? I had it down as Kevin Kelly. It was it was not Kevin Kelly. It was not Kevin Kelly. I checked. Apparently, it's Mark Lloyd. Oh, okay. Which well, he I'm comes out to interview. Not sure. <laughs> I I don't know if that's true either because I've never seen this kid in my life, and it is very much <laughs> a, a kid who interviews yeah. Jazz and talks about how she 
would have been successful with beating Trish Stratus if it wasn't for Molly interfering. Jazz like just Jazz. stares him down and walks away <laughs> like a just, badass. Just treats the question with the contempt it deserves. <laughs> like, who the hell are you? He was, he was very nervous and did not do a very good job, and she yeah. just walked away. I I don't know what to make of this whole thing of like it's cool having having your your interviewers ready to interview the winner. That's kind of neat. It saves them having is. to do. They could have been coach or later. Michael Cole since since yeah. I for, I didn't mention <laughs> that we didn't have the alternating commentary teams yet. No, we're still on the brand uh, yes. the whole night. Yes, which is fine. No no complaints there. But it, it, again, as you say, it doesn't particularly. Doesn't particularly put the brand split over, which you know they iron that out. That's fine. We we get there, but but it, to be fair, if you're going to pick one of the two, I suppose it would be Jr. and King. Uh, we get oh. a fun little video recap. Was it fun? Of was Paul it? Heyman touching up Lita's <laughs> undies. Oh god! You know that match wasn't very good, but I'd rather have ten minutes of that than more of whatever this is because I was very uncomfortable. This was really, really, really strange. Like it, it, I don't really know what they were trying to do with this. Whether it was Heyman playing head games or just whatever, but it was like it came across as Heyman wanting sexual favors yes. in exchange if, for, for, the, for those not of you who having have... Matt Hardy get murdered. <laughs> yes, if, for those of you who haven't seen it, Heyman was in Leader's locker room. She walked in. Heyman's sitting there with her underwear in his hands. She's trying to snatch it back, and Heyman implies that if she sleeps with him, uh, Brock will go easy on Matt Hardy later on in the night. That did not happen. Yeah, as far as I say, Lee did not Matt Hardy did die. Brock beat the fuck out of Matt Hardy later (laughs) on. Which was great. Brock's been on an absolute rampage. It's incredible. What more could you want? Um, and speaking of Brock and Rampage, the next match is Jeff Hardy accompanied by Lita with Brock. Uh, sorry, against Brock, I should say. Uh, backstage, Heyman gets Brock riled up and ready to rip Jeff's head off. So he's so good excellent. at it. He's so good at this. Oh, he, he Heyman's brilliant. I, he's I I would honestly put him up in that upper echelon of like the best talkers ever for for wrestling. And and particularly for, for for an unknown talent like Brock, who the fans aren't used to yet at this point, he's so useful in getting him this, over. This could have fallen flat like Matt Morgan without without Paul Heyman oh keeping God, him yeah. over. Absolutely. Because the thing is, like Brock is so softly spoken, and that doesn't matter now in 2022 when we know that Brock Lesnar will crush every bone in your body, <laughs> but when you just introduced him, you probably want someone to talk on his behalf. Yes, absolutely. Uh, something else that you probably want is to not give him an extremely shit theme to him, but unfortunately they've oh, not got God. there yet. <laughs> I did, I did <laughs> mention that. We're not, we're not on the famous Brock Lesnar theme yet. We're no. on this terrible, generic Jim he Johnston gets, rock yeah. tune. He gets a few. He get he gets a, a like this first couple of months. They cycle through trying to find the one for him, and it takes them a while. And everything they get till they find the right one is pretty subpar. It's got to be said. So this is this is kind of an interesting match because we get Jeff doing like kind of his usual sort of fare, but he's the, trying. Like, 
he is trying, but everything is shut down by <laughs> it's Brock. It's not working. Murders him. He, like everything Brock does, he's either tossing Jeff around the ring like he's a small toy, or he looks like whatever moves he hits him with might snap Jeff in two. Yes, uh, we get the the Bane triple backbreaker at one point. Yes, and Heyman's like screaming at Lita, like, "Yo, oh, this is all your fault. This is your fault." Which is <laughs> you didn't great. sleep with me. I'm gonna beat the shit out of Jeff now. <laughs> it's it's yeah, fucking weird. But like, I mean, it, it's like a, like we were saying earlier. It's sometimes fun to watch a big dude just beat the tar. Yeah, out it's of a, it's it's not a match more than a showcase of the best that Brock Lesnar is going to offer and yes. why you should be watching his matches. Absolutely, I think it's one of those where even even fans that only have a little bit of knowledge of the awareness of the tropes of wrestling probably knew Jeff was not winning this one. So oh, he had his would... moments. He did have a couple of kind of hope spots. He had, you know, they had the, the he traditional... hit the whisper in the wind into he the did. swanton. Got Nobody the swanton. kicks out of the swanton. Well, he only got a two with except, it. So... Except Brock. <laughs> except Brock fucking Lesnar. You know, he got some of his signatures. He got the old sit down jawbreaker. He got the the signature Jeff leg drop. So you know, Jeff got his shit in. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's got to be said. Then he go. Gave, then he gave up and went to get a chair. That did not <laughs> yeah. go well. The the fans were going mad at this point. They were absolutely apoplectic. Um, but they loved yeah, Jeff. Love uh, it. Yeah, absolutely. He like he's always been loved. Um, but Brock cares not for who the fans love. Like Jeff goes to grab this chair. Brock cuts his momentum off, picks him up. Gives him the F5, and then Heyman tried tells to, him... tried to hit the chair. But yeah. Not. Heyman tells Brock, don't pin Jeff, hurt him. Oh so god, here we go. He gi- fucking hell. He gives him a double powerbomb, and then follows it with a spin-out powerbomb. The, the spiral. Spiral bomb. The spiral, that's the word I'm after. Killed hits, him. Hits the move so hard that fucking I felt it. Killed him. It was jarring. Teddy Long, the referee, decides Jeff is fucking dead and awards the match to Brock. So that was great. Fantastic. How? Um, how what better way could you use to get Brock <laughs> over with the people? Absolutely. This is this is how you debut a big guy. Like this is his first proper match in front of the cameras. This is how you do it. He looked like an absolute killer. I wouldn't have him any other way. I I gotta say, watching this, this was the match where I realised that doing this podcast is going to be really fun, like, for me personally, not just because I'll be reliving the old favourites and hopefully finding some new ones, but I think it's going to help me appreciate some talent that nowadays I take for granted, because Jeff looked really good in this match, I thought, so it's going to be fun watching him at his peak. And I, I forgot to mention that Lita spent this match on the outside looking as uncomfort- uncomfortable as she possibly could. <laughs> she'd been, she'd been in a front row seat to a public execution. Yeah, she, she, she finally got into the ring to check on Jeff as soon as, only as soon as Brock left. Yeah. Uh, Lita doesn't have uh, Lita doesn't have very many appearances uh, in the immediate future because she's going to get very badly injured filming a TV series not long after this. Oh. So, yeah, Hardy Boy is going to be kind that's of a, up in the air a regular, for a little while. That's a regular thing for Lita, unfortunately. It is, yeah. She she does have a good little run in the middle of this era, but it's unfortunately she is, I think, possibly. Not 
what she once was when she comes back, as you never are when you return from a neck injury. But hey, it doesn't stop her from trying, I'll say that much. So up next, we have a match featuring one of the all-time greats, Kurt Angle, yes. taking oh. on one of the all-time greats, Edge! <laughs> Of course, this is of this course. is the early goings of Edge's white meat babyface run. Mm. Um, we get we get a lovely little video package of Kurt being great, <laughs> which which I quite <laughs> like because it's it it was it's kind of neat because it gives the it gives the viewers a reason to get invested in this, even though we've seen this match before several it, times at this point it, in in company history. And this is a very big match for Edge. Where do you begin with this match? This was fucking great, I thought. Like, it starts off as kind of a a bit of a back and forth kind of affair and it's so close throughout, it felt like it could have gone in either direction, basically for the whole duration of the match. It's phenomenal storytelling, I thought. It is a very, very good match. Um, I mean, of course, of course, Edge, uh, your favourite wrestler, I think uh, many of of our listeners know that. Yes, absolutely, and rightly so. Um, he, 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 looking at this, it's not hard to see why Paul Heyman wanted him to be one of the main guys on SmackDown. Uh, the The story goes that Paul Heyman approached Edge and said that he wanted him to be his equivalent of Sting in WCW. So he was yes. basically on a build. SmackDown that was round that him. was what he was to me at this time. He really yeah. was like, I really was an Edgehead like people. Mm. Enjoyed Sting in his in his prize. Well, he he's he's kind of being that you know that that good like you say he's the white meat baby. Yeah. He's the good guy. He's sticking up against dickheads like Kurt Angle. But at the same time, he's kind of he's still got that cool no pun intended edge to him, yeah. which helps him stand out, which is great. Uh, this is like this is just fucking brilliant. Like both men just running through their entire arsenal. Kurt does every suplex you could imagine in this. Oh, these one. are these are some dangerous suplexes. Edge hits <laughs> yeah. Edge hits a high, high angle German suplex, if you noticed. Mm. And Kurt lands on his neck and it's terrifying. When you consider that Kurt has a, a surgically repaired neck as well, and will go on to break it a few more times <laughs> after this point, that's frightening to watch. Um, we, there's, there's a moment where, like, the fans are already enjoying it, but there's a bit where Edge is ready to sort of leap off the top turnbuckle, and Kurt explodes at that turnbuckle. Oh my god. Hits him with a huge top rope belly to belly, and they just go fucking nuts at this point. Classic Kurt Angle. So into it. Like, it's, it's the, the cat-like quickness, as they're fond of saying. Yes, the leap. The leap to the top. Just Crazy. amazing to watch. Like, Kurt in his prime, Edge, if this is not in his prime, this is very close to coming into his prime. These next couple of years for Edge are incredible. Yeah, this this is the best in-ring you'll see from Edge. I th- I think you're probably right. As he starts um, to deteriorate. Mm, unfortunately, through no fault of his own, it should be added. Of course. Ah, uh, there's a lot of fault on Edge for doing <laughs> what he did. Well, <laughs> fair. Um... Just like great, there's a, there's a really cool su- like a, a sequence where like Edge attempts the executioner, Kurt counters it, Edge catches him trying to attempt the Edge Omatic, Kurt turns that into an angle slam, For pulls the down the singlet, nine. oh two point nine, yeah, and then pulls down the singlet, goes to the ankle lock, like Edge 
crawls for the ropes, Kurt pulls him away. Like this is like just this one like extended sequence. It like it move after move. In- then rolls, rolls in, rolls and the, the crowd bites hard on this oh on this God. pin. They are going nuts. They are popping insane for every move on this one. It's so so good. Uh, oh, and the then of course the we get the, class- the Kurt Angle the Kurt, special. The Kurt Angle classic. Yep, love it. Kurt goes out of the ring, picks up a chair, gets back in the ring, swings that chair downward at Edge, who's prone against the ropes. Edge evades. The chair hits the top rope, rebounds, and twats Kurt in the face. Uh, Edge gets the edge matic for a two count, and the for fans lose their again. mind. <laughs> this, is like, the, this is the finish to these people, and it doesn't yeah. happen. And they're going like, crazy. That, of, of all the, the false finishers, that was like the That's coolest. how the Kurt matches end, yeah. Absolutely. So Angle reaches for the chair, Edge kicks him over, gets in position for a spear... Edge charges oh him, Kurt catches him with this massive fucking the kick. The Orton pun. Him skidding. One angle I think this later. leaves. I think this leaves a pretty bad, like a pretty bad mouse on Edge's, Edge, near Edge's eyeball at the end. You'll see it. Yeah. So what, one, one angle slam later, the deal is sealed. And uh, that's that. Kurt picks up the win. Uh, 13 minutes and 25 seconds these guys went for hell of a match hell of a showcase oh I'm sorry we forgot we forgot to mention uh, Brock Lesnar's murdering of Jeff was five and a half minutes 532 oh that's right 532 yes but yeah Kurt and Kurt and Edge going for 13 it wasn't, it wasn't 13, even a match 25, really, and it was no sure and th- like this was beautiful. This was an incredible, incredible match. After after the this match, is... JR promises the two will meet again. Like, don't you threaten me with a good time, Jim Ross? It's ma- it's match of the night, and it's not even close. Yeah, I I would say so. I I think there's only one match on this card that can remotely come close to how good this one was. And like even the next like the next couple of episodes, they're all saying how good this match was. So yeah, yeah this is really the beginning of. Edge becoming a star, honestly, and that's fine by me if we get matches like this. And we did every and we, week. My God, did we ever? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you know, spoilers, Edge is a Hall of Fame talent these days, so yeah. suffice to say it worked out all right for him. So, Chris Jericho makes it well, entrance. Well, what, what, what's supposed to be RVD and Eddie Guerrero? Yeah, but we get this grumpy Canadian instead. There's a sign that Not declares what? Y2J has Bean. Well, perhaps he should return Bean. They're perhaps, trying to get over... Perhaps, they... perhaps you should spell the word Bean correctly. Who knows? <laughs> WWF are trying to get over call, getting the fans to call Jericho has been for some yeah, reason. Yeah, which is odd. Jericho gets on the mic, complains that a month ago he walked into WrestleMania... Uh, and the main event, in fact, as WWF champion, and now he's not even booked. He's not Winges. good enough to wrestle on Backlash? <laughs> <laughs> he whinges that he's offended and insulted and his feelings are hurt, but he is buoyed somewhat by the fact that he is better than the fans, and of course that royalty thief Hulk Hogan. Not his words, I'm sure. Uh, after bitching some more, Jericho says he will leave, and then he leaves. For this, he was paid yeah, five hundred thousand dollars. He's gone. He will never be seen again on this show. <laughs> he certainly won't be coming he, back he later. Com- he complained Wing. that Billy. He complained that Billy Kidman, Trish Stratus, and Maven have matches on this show, and he doesn't. And that's <laughs> that makes a lot them. of sense. 
Like, he's not wrong, but, like, way to bury a, half your card, though. He was offended, he's upset, and most importantly, they hurt his feelings. <laughs> I do love so he Jericho leaves. as a heel, though. He, he's, he's naturally cool. very good at it. Uh, backstage, Flair and Arn Anderson discuss the number one contendership match. Undertaker walks in, <laughs> waggles his finger at Ric Flair like a cheeky hedgehog, and leaves. What a cunt. Why was this here? Why was this <laughs> segment no even idea. here? Presumably it was just there as a buffer, so it wasn't really weird that Jericho left and then the match immediately started. <laughs> I, I guess they didn't want to have a hype package for the next for the next matchup. Oh yeah, because that would that that would be terrible. Imagine hyping up Eddie Guerrero versus Rob Van Dam for the Intercontinental Championship. That would battle be of, bad. Battle of the Froggy Boys. Of the, is yeah. the story. We we are feeling froggy. The tadpoles are all big now. Eddie Guerrero in the red gear, looking good. RVD with a big orange R on his chest, like a Team Rocket reject. Jerry Lawler defending. Defending the heel Eddie Guerrero in this by asking JR, who's the first person they saw do a frog splash in the WWF? JR replies, D'Lo Brown. <laughs> it feels like Jerry like honestly didn't think that JR was going to reply with D-Lo that. D'Lo Brown? He seems, little, he seems a little caught off. By it. But who was second? Yeah, who, who was the second person? <laughs> Just good, ignore the first one. Thing. Yes. Well, D'Lo Brown doesn't count, as we know, as established by Kurt Angle. Uh, awesome fast-paced stuff to start things off. Uh, RVD boots Eddie in the face at one point and shouts, Yeah! Yeah, this this match is all Eddie Guerrero, though. Oh, God. Well, that's fine by me. It's like 95% Eddie just beating the shit out of Rob. <laughs> I can live with that. RVD gets his, gets his best of in, though. Oh, God, yeah. RVD does something in the region of 7,000 moonsaults throughout the course of this. And they, they do look lovely. Uh, they're, they're, I t- there's one bit, and I didn't even know what the hell to call it, because I've never seen this submission that Eddie does before. It the... looks tremendously painful. Like, he gets RVD in like a, a modified surfboard stretch. Then he gets RVD leaning back oh, on his yes, knees, the, and the... Lo- locks in a face lock as well. Yeah, the the like dragon agony. sleeper. Yeah, this looks like absolute agony. Um, it does. I tell you what, from, that, it goes from that straight into the gory special. Mm. Looks also looks great. Yeah, well, innovated by Eddie's dad, so Eddie's got it. Uh, he's got it sorted. He know he knows the ins and outs. Uh, I, this match kind of made me realize how good Eddie's his slingshot helo is over the top rope. He always gets hang time off it. Like he seems to float in the air for Eddie. half a second. And you always, always think looks great. Yeah. You always think he's gonna crash and burn off it, but he never does. It just looks <laughs> he amazing. Never does. Like honestly like a gush about Eddie Guerrero for a very long time. And I'm excited to be able to do that on this podcast. At one point Eddie looks like he's going to be going for the three amigos, but that isn't a thing mm. yet. So he just turned yeah, into we're... a belly to back instead. Yeah, we're not. We're, he's he's not quite got that in his arsenal there. But yeah, it's this is the new and improved Eddie Guerrero, I guess, because he's he's back after a little time away from the company for uh, misdemeanors, shall we say? Um, but so yeah, he's he's obviously added a few new things into the arsenal. Obviously, this one had to end with a frog splash because. The Before whole that, I want to mention. I want to mention that RVD goes up for a frog. Sp- 
I think it was, no, it was Eddie going up for a frog splash. Obviously, meets him at the top, and mm. Eddie turns it into one of the most brutal sunset flip power bombs I've ever seen. Incredible, yeah. And he only gets off the two top. Off. <laughs> but, but it <laughs> looks amazing. With the high, with the high pin for a two. I, it's, see, again, this is these two guys at the height of their powers, you know, just doing amazing, innovative, like, aerial stuff. Yeah, I, I don't think you could have had this match with any... Like, obviously, they are both two incredible wrestlers, but I think this particular combination of the two of them lets them do some really unique stuff. The chemistry between these two is unbelievable. It's very, very good. We get a classic Eddie Guerrero cheat finish. Of course. Um... Which is all I could ever ask. How else is an Eddie Guerrero match going to happen? <laughs> That's all I want from life. So Eddie grabs the title belt and gets into a tussle with RVD over it. Uh, Van Damme yanks the belt away and hits the referee. In the con- uh, confusion, Eddie gives RVD a neck breaker onto the belt, discards it, and as the referee recovers, he nails RVD with the frog splash from right on the all face. The way the ring. Right on the face. <laughs> I teach you to fucking kick me in the jaw, you prick. Picks up the three cam. Picks up the win. Picks up the intercontinental championship. New champ. Mwah, Eleven beautiful. minutes, forty-three seconds. Very, very well done. Very well done. I, I, this was the one that I would say comes close to Edge and Kurt, honestly. Just two of the all-time greats. Showing why they were so damn good. They're, like, there's never. I don't think there's ever been another performer like RVD. I think he's like completely unique in the ring. But also, there is the fact that Eddie belongs in the conversation for one of the greatest of all greats. time. Yes. Yeah. And like, I was saying this. I was saying this not too long back. I think the longer that passes since we lost Eddie, the more and more it becomes obvious that actually he probably is one of the best wrestlers, like top five easily. Yeah. In, in, yeah, Some, I, that, I I think that's a fairly reasonable sort of. Someone mentioned on Twitter to me that it's something that made a lot of sense when I thought about it. He was never mm. a ten out of ten at anything, but he was a nine out of ten at everything. Everything, yes. I think that's a I think that's a very good summation, to be honest. Amazing performer. Like they're, they're both great, but like I said, Eddie is in that upper they're both echelon. Amazing, but mm. Eddie's just on a different level. Yeah. But enough and... about that, LT. We got to talk <laughs> about the Scorpion King. <laughs> Do you want to know what I've got in my notes for this? I've I'll got... let you know what I've got after you do. <laughs> I've got at ringside. JR tells King the Scorpion King is good. No, LT, it's the <laughs> highest grossing opening weekend for a film released in April. Oh, was that it? God. That's exactly what it was. A very oh, specific record to break, me. but The Rock yeah, did it. Yeah, mm, the, the specificity mm. of it is so weird. They wanted something to talk about, and that, that's it. That is a very WWE thing to do. Like, do you remember when they were doing uh, the WWE Did You Know, like on the ad bumpers? It was all completely mundane. <laughs> did, you, shit, like... did you know that the Scorpion King broke the highest grossing opening <laughs> exactly. weekend for a film released in April? As of 2002. Yeah, weird, weird shit. Very but weird. But yeah, I think they are, they're starting to realize that they are not going to be able to hang on to Dwayne for very long. Sorry, they're call him by his, his shoot name there. <laughs> they're they're doing his be- their best to keep him, but 
They are butter in the around. rocker, but I think he's already got one eye on Hollywood, and they've definitely got one eye on him. So, yeah, Rock not going to be too long for uh, full time wrestling at this point. In fact, to be fair, he's, he's not really full time full- wrestling. He's not full time anymore. No, he he does make a few. I I would say back. this is. I think this is pretty much the tail end of his full time run. Really, very much he, so. Um. Which is he? Com- a shame. He comes back full time after after the release for a couple of weeks, but then yes. he's just gone again. After yeah. well, we'll get to that. We've got we've got some we've got some good stuff with Rock coming up, but yeah, it's gonna be an odd few weeks where they're bigging him up and he ain't in the building. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking of things that are truly excellent and record breaking, we have. A number one contendership match for the WWF Championship, pitting Undertaker against Stone Cold Steve Austin with special guest referee Red Shoes Flaro Ric Flair. At, um, at this point, at this point, both Undertaker and Stone Cold are number one contenders, and this matches for the to find out who is the number one number one contender. <laughs> what a convoluted fucking storyline this had been. They had basically like Flair promised the number one contender spot to both of them, and then had to backtrack on that and be like, oh yeah, no, you've got to win a match, and then you'll be number one contender. But then he put them in two separate matches, so it ended up being like a mini-tournament. And then oh, here we here we have the final match, and it's very strange. But hey-ho. Uh, incidentally, I saw someone say on Twitter recently that Undertaker coming out to Limp Biscuit was lame, and quite frankly to that person I said, that is wrong. Because this rules. That is wrong. That is 100% wrong. <laughs> yeah, it fucking ruled. I'm sorry. It was It was amazing for its time. Yeah, like I wouldn't want him to do it now. If he did it no. now, it would be lame. Yeah, but in 2002, it was the coolest shit ever. It was in, so Even hard. in 2000, it was... It was so cool. As soon as as soon as the song hit, the crowd went absolutely insane. It as they should have. I don't know about you. I reckon these fans uh, might have liked Stone Cold. Oh, a little bit. (laughs) Pop of the night for Austin, and it's not even close. Not even close. Um, I do have some specific notes on this, but this is a very long match. I was wondering if you would like the two sentence review of it. The two sentence review. Mine. Mm. Mine is like. A half a novel, but let's go with yours. (laughs) Okay. Two sentence review. Sentence one. Both men were wrestling a tremendous match here. Sentence two. What a pity they were wrestling the wrong opponent. Oh, man. Undertaker's work in a slow, methodical match. Austin's work in a fast-paced, explosive brawl. The fans want the brawl. They are not into the slow shit. And every time Undertaker Uh. cuts him off... The match dies on its fucking ass. There's some, I, there's I, some really I, fun moments in here, though. There are some fun moments, but revolving I feel like... around Austin flipping off the Undertaker, and the Undertaker <laughs> pissed that he keeps falling for this. <laughs> it is great. I, it feels to me like Austin was working the kind of match he'd have against The Rock, and Undertaker was working a match he might have with Kurt Angle, and like you put them together, and you ended up with kind of a mismatch, and that's shame- that's weird because these two can and have worked well together in the past at this point. So I, I guess I don't know. It just fell off this. This far. is a this is it's, a match that gets fast, and then it slows down, down, and it just stays down. Yeah, Undertaker went to the the babyface shutdown well one too many times for my life. They might have they might have they might have slowed it down for Flair, who couldn't really keep up with them. 
Yeah, he was struggling a little bit. He um, was struggling. I it was it was weird, man. I mean, the like we said, the fans so into Austin here, and Undertaker, whether by intention or by accident, was sucking the wind out of those sails they every were, single they time. They were trying to stay in it, but by the end, there was there was nothing. There was no heat left. Nothing. So unfortunately, the crowd kind of dead at that point. Uh, I do, you know, I do have a, a few other little notes here as well. I, it is worth pointing out at one stage in the match. Scott Hall and X-Pac make their way out to ringside and then proceed to not they do did anything. They nothing! They did absolutely nothing! <laughs> Don't know what that was all about. I think, I think they left. They just left at one stage because yeah, they're never they, seen again after they come out. Really they didn't odd. get involved. They didn't do anything. No. I completely forgot they were... Anyone. I completely so forgot strange. they were out there at all by the yeah. end. Like, I actually wound, I wound it back after I watched it. I was like, did I miss something? And then I checked on Wikipedia because I was like, oh, maybe something happened and they had to cut it from the network for like reasons of good taste. No, they just they just go away. <laughs> they, they, they were gone. <laughs> Very odd. Uh, Austin, there was... Austin Austin makes a few comebacks here, and he get, he gets the fans back into it with each punch followed by a what chant, and it's yeah. very annoying. <laughs> he stomps the mud hole, and there's more watts, and they're they're trying to stay in it. Yeah. Austin is, I think he's pretty much the only thing that could have got the crowd back into it after after things slowed down, but the nature of the match meant that didn't really happen. As soon as he uh, got cut off, the, the fans went right back down. Yeah. Uh, there's one point where Undertaker picks Austin up for a tombstone. Austin blocks it, shoves Taker off, uh, which knocks Flair down and leads to a stunner. So Austin gets ref, the ref visual bump number pin. one. Ref bump number one uh, on an actual wrestler, by the way. So that shouldn't actually knock him down, but never mind. Um, He's very Austin, old, so he, he is okay. he is old and frail, <laughs> and has done a lot of drink and drugs at this point. Uh, Austin gets the visual pin. You know, he covers Austin, uh, covers Undertaker with the fans counting to seven. Uh, he. Gives up, goes to revive Flair, and as he's coming to Undertaker, gives Austin a low blow in a repeat of a spot we'd already seen do. in the night. As you do in the Attitude Era, that's, well, that's, that's what you that's do. That's fine, yeah, you hit people in the willy, why not? Follows it with a, a chokety slam, covers Austin just as Flair's coming to to make the count, and oh, what a close three count, though, i got to say. I mean, like considering how the finish plays out. You know, having Austin covered for so that, long. It, it's unfortunate it, that it's... Flair Flair pauses his count on the two mm. to let him kick out, and it takes it out, took me out of it at least. Yeah, that's true. Because obviously, like to pull back the curtain a little bit, referees in WWE are told to you know behave as though the match is real. You know, you got to go to make that count, and you make sure you pull your hand away at the last minute if it ain't the finish. Uh, so the kick out it, responsibility is on the wrestler, but yeah, Flair is kind of pausing here as if to say, "Please kick out, please kick out, please kick out." <laughs> he doesn't have to. That's the problem. <laughs> they're professionals. They know what they're doing. <laughs> they they've been working a hell of a lot more matches than he has at this point. Uh, Austin picks up a chair and Flair tries to take it off him. Austin then flips Flair off, turns round, uh, but gets the chair booted into his face by Undertaker who makes the cover and the three, and here's the crucial part of the finish, Flair's poor positioning means he doesn't miss Austin's foot is on the bottom rope. I told you to pay attention to that foreshadowing. Uh, So Flair leaves, and he's disgusted with himself for giving Undertaker the win, and he doesn't even know that he didn't need to. 
Uh, after the match, Austin gets to his feet, and he don't look impressed. Real quick, 27 minutes. Jesus fucking And hell. it dragged. It, I tell you what, I felt every one of those 27 <laughs> minutes. Um, that, this is the longest match of the night, by the way. This is longer than the main event. The main? Five and minutes, yeah. No wonder, be considering who's in the main. Well, quite, but still... Uh, so, you know, send the fans home happy and all that. Undertaker trash talks Austin, and for his troubles, he is granted a stone-cold stunner. Um, I, I thought this was very poor for a high-profile match. We're not even sending them home! we got two more <laughs> matches! two more matches to go! <laughs> uh, after the match, Coachman, Jonathan Coachman, gets Flair backstage and asks him if he saw Austin's leg on the ropes. Flair did not! So Coach uh, handily has a little CRT telly next to him. He's, shows he's trying. He, he, step, he steps on the cord of his microphone <laughs> at this point, knocking himself out. He's struggling. Uh, Flair sees the footage playback, and his reaction is just, oh, shit. 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 <laughs> like, he knows he's screwed up. <laughs> he just wanders off, I guess. <laughs> like, he, he has incurred the wrath of Stone Cold Steve Austin and everything that entails. So yeah, that was kind of that was kind of toilet, honestly. So I'm glad Absolutely. that it's in the past now. Uh, but we've got a little palate cleanser coming after up. that. After that white hot contest, we gotta have a cool down. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ, calm that crowd down. We got the WWF Tag Team Championship on the line as Al Snow and Maven take on Billy and Chuck with Rico. Al. Al. First note I have on this one is the edit of Maven's theme sucks ass. Yep. There is no tattoo. There is no mercy drive. We get shitty cover of it. Yeah, it's it's lame. It's not. It's not even the only network edit that we're going to get to a theme tune tonight, unfortunately. Uh Um, But yeah, it it sucks. Maven's got a great theme, and well, he doesn't on the network. Uh, so pretty standard, you know, basic as basic can with. get. Absolutely, like Maven is in a weird spot because he was obviously like far and away the best of the tough enough trainees, and they obviously felt That's confident enough much. to put him in front of the cameras, but not That's confident not enough much. to give him. Yeah, not confident enough to give him proper matches. So like Al Snow's kind of here holding his hand at this point, which is yeah. you know, whatever. Um, Billy, and, Billy and Chuck cut the ring off. of Billy, I thought Al Billy Snow was stuck great in the ring. This. Yeah, they cut the ring off, keeping Al, oh, keeping Maven in the ring. Mm. Maven makes the hot tag. Al Snow comes in. They cut Al Snow off mm. until he can make the hot tag, and, <laughs> and that's. And then we get to the finish. Yeah, I, I, I gotta say, like, I. I thought like all three of the heels worked well here because Rico's like he's providing distractions like the timing on yeah, all three. Rico's of them great. Brilliant. Rico's great. Uh, the fans disagree with a loud Rico's gay chant. Uh, it was two thousand and two. Yep. Yeah. So sorry, guys. Uh, obviously, we don't condone that. You wouldn't. Hear, I. You know, honestly, I am very glad that you wouldn't hear that in a wrestling arena anymore. I'm very, very happy with that. You know, the you, world has moved. I mean, on, you would, but God. the, the well, fan you might, but trying not, not, would yeah. get immediately kicked out. Absolutely, yeah, and quite right too. 
Because fuck homophobes. <laughs> so yeah, this sure. this is you know whatever. Maven does the two K comeback at one point, but <laughs> I, I, tell you what I thought was quite cool. He goes for a, a like throws uh, the back body Billy drop. into the ropes. Goes for the back body drop. Billy counters into the famous, which was really cool. As as he does. Uh, but kind it's, of just ends. Al pulls him out of the ring, pulls Maven yeah. out of the ring before he can get pinned. Mm. Rico kind of, attempts to get involved. Yeah, uh, he gets in the ring behind Maven. Al rushes in to chase him off, which gives a, a distraction, which lets Chuck sneak in and give Maven a thrust kick, and lets Billy pick up the three standard kind of SmackDown mid card tag match finish, really. Five minutes, um, 56 seconds, just a mm. basic tag match. Gets gets the win for Million Chuck, gets him on the show. Yeah, you know, extra payday for four guys. So can't, well, five guys can't really be the too match mad got about the, that. The, ma- the match got the same Observer star rating as Taker and Austin did in a fraction of the time. <laughs> in a fraction of the time. And dare I say it, more fun to watch. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't... Speaking I mean, it wasn't of fun to special. watch... Oh, Jesus, God. <laughs> oh, are we ready for the main event then, boys and no, girls? No, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> it is time for the WWF Undisputed Championship. Triple H defending against challenger Hulk Hogan. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, in fact. It is, in fact, Triple H versus HHH. Oh, I didn't notice that. Ah, That's true. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Fun little callback to Hogan Andre, you know, the the stare down pre-match, that was quite neat. In front of 250,000 screaming Hulkamaniacs, brother. (laughs) Brother, brother. (laughs) This is when uh, Hogan body slammed the 400-pound Triple H in the uh, Pontiac Silverdome. Like, the fans are so behind Hogan in this, like, Triple H is basically the de facto heel. Like, he does does not have any choice in the matter. He is is not not the heel. He is not the heel at this point. He is quite the baby face, but that is very much out sh- overshadowed yeah. by how much the people love Hogan at this point. Yeah, there, there was no point Triple H playing to the crowd in this one because it wasn't going to work for him. We'll talk about the reference you made earlier about mm. Hogan's entrance. Oh yeah, instead of Jimi Hendrix we just get a very generic... Awful. It's, awful version. It's poo. It's Kids really bot voodoo child. Very good. Like Kids voodoo, bot voodoo child. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way of phrasing it, to be honest. Voodoo child is such a good theme tune for this era of Hogan as well. So to replace it with like wailing fart noise now. No, get out of here. Rubbish bin. Shit. You know what it is. You know it's voodoo child, but we can't play it, so here Yeah. You like, to, to be fair, as a sound alike. It sounds enough like it, but it's still a million... I mean, of course it isn't. No guitarist you could pick would be as good as Jimi Hendrix. Of course it's not as of good, course. But, you know. So, the first like big spot I've got noted here, Hogan gets Triple H in the corner, uh, works him over with a few punches and chops, then climbs him for the old mounted ten-punch spot. Yep. Triple H elbows Hogan... <laughs> Uh, Hogan dumps him over the fucking rope oh. to the outside, and my god, he got some crazy height on this one. Like I, it, it could have been nasty. Tri- like Triple H just goes fucking flying off of it. Makes Hogan look like an absolute superstar, mind you. So we get a little bit of brawling on the outside on the very, very shiny mats. Hogan gets his head slammed on the ring steps, and then they just pretty much follow that by getting back in the ring. Really. Yeah. 
One of the one of the notes I have is early on in the match they do the Greco-Roman test of strength, and mm. you may remember a certain Hogan and Warrior gif that this might have reminded you of. <laughs> yes, the the infamous that looks uh... that looks like lewd acts being performed. <laughs> if you know what I mean, I, I do know what you mean. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of our listeners know what you mean. Um, I, do you know actually that was a that's kind of a cool bit in the early going. You know the whole Hogan the whole thing with, with them. Yeah, keep Hogan up can't with Triple H's Triple H, power, H, yeah. but he looked he looks to the fans to help him get the advantage. Yeah, it's neat. It's a very like, Hogan thing to do. Yeah, because in the eighties and early nineties, Hogan would have been the one that overpowered the other guy. The power, but now, like the now, power of the Hulkamaniacs helped. Sure, but now Triple H is the guy to beat. Uh, kind of the like this. I tell you what surprised me. Hogan gives Triple H a cutter at diamond, one point. A diamond cutter, yes. <laughs> that was weird. It was cool. I don't know why. <laughs> don't know where the fuck that came from. Why did from, he do that? Was cool. Um, that's kind of the point where Triple H like changes the psychology of the match, and he starts to work over the braced knee of Hogan and good old, good old Triple H chop block. Mm, yeah, the chop block. We get Just... we get a figure four. Uh, attempt followed by uh, a, a different kind of leg lock attempt, and then Hunter does eventually get him in the figure four, and he uses the ropes for leverage. Boo hiss, yabu sucks. It sounds um, it sounds great on paper, but there's ten minutes of this. Oh yeah, ten it, it, long it does minutes go of on a while. Uh, Hogan rolls over into his stomach, which for those uninitiated listeners means that he reverses the pressure of the hole. That's the established. Counter, uh, allegedly that works. I don't see how, but never mind. I've never really understood that, but it, apparently it does. Uh, but then, like, as soon as Triple H releases the figure four, he locks in a sleeper hold, yeah, which unfortunately Hogan's trying to make his com comeback, but it's it's rear chin lock time. Yeah, but however, of course, Triple H has sealed his fate by going for the sleeper hold because the ref goes to raise Hogan's arm and drops it once. He drops it twice. He drops it. No! The finger waggles! And of course, Hulk begins to <laughs> Hulk up. We get him, you know, he gets back to his feet. A mini side, Hulk su up. side suplex. A little, little baby Hulk up. Uh, Triple H. Na uh, sorry, Hogan nails Triple H with a, a hammer blow, follows him with a big boot, and uh, the atomic leg drop uh, goes for the cover, and but... Chris Jericho. Pulls the referee out I of him. I thought he, he went home, LT. I know, he said he was going to leave the... He uh, you know, got home and came back very quickly. Do, do you know something? I hate when people dishonest. It's really... I mean, how rude can you get? So Jericho knocks out Earl Hebner, the referee, then absolutely clatters a chair against Hogan's head. Jericho throws Heb back into the ring and tries to revive him, and ends up getting the wrath of Triple H for his troubles, eating a big old knee lift and being clotheslined out of the ring. Uh, Hogan gets to a knee. Triple H throws a punch at him like a stupid motherfucker. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> because here is the full Hulk up. Uh, he nails another big boot, attempts another atomic leg drop. Triple H evades it, ducks a clothesline, nails a pedigree just in time That's for Hedner so to revive. And right. Hebner's then pulled out of the ring and knocked out by Undertaker. Another run-in. Yeah, Undertaker blasts Triple H with a chair and puts Hogan on top of him for the cover. But Hogan hulks up again and clotheslines Undertaker out of the ring. One atomic leg drop later, Hogan covers Triple H for the three. 
and wins the WWF Championship, taking it home for the first time in nine years. So Since as Hogan 1993. celebrates, with... mm, crazy. As Hogan celebrates with the belt, Undertaker looks very satisfied with the result. Uh, Triple H, bloodied, battered, bruised, beaten, gets to his feet, stares Hogan down, and offers him his hand. Hogan accepts. Triple H departs and allows Hogan his moment because, as we all know. Hogan must pose, and pose he does to end the show. Very strange. Like the the Undertaker's motives not explained here. They're not clear. Obviously, you know, tune in tomorrow night and find out. Obviously, it's it's pretty obvious that he didn't want to face Triple H. Sure, yeah. Like he the, saw the whole... he saw Hogan as the easier target. Absolutely. Which you know, in fairness, yes. So if you're looking forward to Undertaker versus Hulk Hogan, mm, oh boy! Wow. I I mean maybe if it was still 1993, that could have been. No, actually, it was shit back even in the early 90s. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I weird seeing Hogan on top. Like it was cool. Um, because you know the fans were so into it. it. Was- it was I, the right thing to do at it this absolutely point. Absolutely was. I, I I think this match was probably better than it had any right to be, but it still wasn't that great. I I think the you're not fans... gonna you're not gonna expect a five star classic oh, God, from man. Hulk Hogan. Yeah, you know, very rare you'd get that out of him in his prime, to be honest. But True. yeah, no, he, he he's Triple H did the work in this. You know, he he absolutely was a workhorse in this one and pulled off a good solid match. I think the fans are more into the idea of Hogan as the top babyface, and seeing the match in execution, it doesn't quite live up to it, but it's still nice for the old nostalgia pop. It's it's not about the match quality sometimes, it's no. just about the moments. Yeah, which, to be fair, is kind of the defining thing with Hulk Hogan. He's never been the guy that you're going to get... Matt Classic wrestling matches out of. He's always been the character that you either love to get behind or you love to boo to high hell. So, Duel, that was Backlash 2002, my god. It went by so very slowly. It really did. <laughs> I I thought there were a couple of strong matches on on the card. I didn't. Uh, I didn't think. I, ev- I didn't think every match needed interference or weapons. No, there was absolutely too much. I think the two headline bouts, the ones that unfortunately centered around the most you important were, the championship ones, in the, the ones company, you were paying to see. Yeah, were pretty underwhelming. And I, I got to say, the unfortunate thing is, it's fun to see the Hogan nostalgia tour in action, but the end result is now Triple H and Stone Cold are both shut out of the main event, and they don't seem to have anything particularly notable to do. And as we will see in the coming episodes, in one instance, that's going to have some disastrous consequences for the company. It's hard not to let my current biases get in the way of trying to enjoy Hulk Hogan as as I would have in 2001. Sure. But I'm, I'm... I did not think this was a bad pay per view. It was, it was, it was all right. Sure, I mean, I, I wouldn't say necessarily. Uh, if somebody said to me, "Hey, what can you recommend me a show from two thousand two?" This would probably not be the one that I would give them. <laughs> but if somebody said, "Hey, do you want to watch Backlash two thousand two?" I'd probably go, "Yeah, all right then." <laughs> but we're going to be There's providing our own commentary good... <laughs> over a couple of the matches. <laughs> a few good matches, a few bad matches, some okay matches. Just a about very as, basic pay-per-view. Yeah, about as middle of the road as you can get, really. 
with that in mind. Uh, oh, so, the worst. in your opinion, then, high point, low point. What are you, what were your favorite and least favorite bits of this pay per view? I feel like my high point is a little bit biased, <laughs> but it, it would no, um, it would be around the the Edge and Kurt Angle matchup. Getting to the end of that and how exciting that match got. Mm. That was definitely a high point. Absolutely. Austin's entrance, definitely up there. Yes. Even the even the opening contest that we're not talking about enough. Yeah, that, like the, how, that was that was how good. hard they worked for how little anybody cared. For a for a, a nine minute uh cruiserweight match that the company weren't particularly wanting you to pay attention to. That was good stuff. You know, actually, looking at the times, that got more time than most of the matches on the card, so good for them. They were very lucky to get what they got, and it, that luck would not last for very long. It wouldn't. Hey, uh, do you know, actually, I just while we're on it, looking on the old Wikipedia here, forgot to mention, mm-hmm. the Sunday Night Heat main event was oh. defeating Stevie Richards and Justin Credible in 2 minutes 11, and you'll be Squashed delighted to know, he sure did, you'll be delighted to know Big Show worked the exact same match in that match as he d- just worked in AEW last year. He's not changed one Please. fucking bit. He's, but hey, he's trying. He doesn't have any reason to do much. You know what? You know what, man? If he can get money for it, then why the hell not? He's got some stuff coming up, though, that you'll talk about. Oh, not very good that. stuff, but it will be happening. <laughs> this might actually be one of... This next sort of 12-month period, maybe for Big Show, might be the best he ever got <laughs> in the company. <laughs> and that's upsetting, because it's still not that good for him. He got so much in his physical quality went way down. Oh god yeah. Uh so I'm gonna I'm gonna assume you're gonna say low point uh pretty much the, the low, main event low point the, was the number one contendership. Uh no the low point was the fucking Paul Heyman promo high That's that's fair. Yeah that's a fa- that's fair. I but that was, definitely, that was awkward but definitely more low points would be them sitting in the middle of the in the middle of those two matches, waiting for them to end. Yeah, I I would like for me the high points Edge and Kurt and sure. Eddie and RVD like of course. and there's not much between them. I have to say I thoroughly enjoy both of those. Would heartily recommend them to anyone listening to the show that hasn't checked. Oh, the and, and I forgot the high point would be Brock destroying Jeff. Brock murdering. That was, Jeff. that was some good. That was that some was good great. times. Uh, but yeah, low points. Austin Taker, Snooze Fest, Triple H, Hogan. Well, a little bit too long, to be honest. It did what, what it did, getting. but it, it was did not it very did. exciting. No. Did what it set out to achieve. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, there, were, there weren't really any other moments that made me think, oh, this is absolutely appalling. Oh, even, obviously, you know, Paul Heyman, panty sniffer aside. Um, but those two matches really. Sucked the air out of the sails, like I say. So, <laughs> oh well, what can you do? But hey, that's Backlash 2002, and we got through it. So yeah, overall thoughts. Uh, I think pretty eh. all right. Pretty all right. Oh, uh, maybe not pretty all right. Just all right. Just uh, it, it was an event that occurred. <laughs> Duel. Where can our yes. listeners find you online? 
if you re- if you're listening to me this long and you still want to hear more from me, <laughs> you can you can check out my Twitter at Dual Three Thousand, and you can hear me hang out with LT sometimes on the New Legacy Inc. Twitch channel. Yeah, Which, well, wh- whenever the whenever things line up properly, because uh, you're, the you're stars on the wrong align. side of the planet, <laughs> or maybe I am. <laughs> See, if we both move to America, then all these problems will be solved. Oh, but we'd have so many other problems. That then. is true. <laughs> that is true. I didn't think of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming on, man. I've had a, I've had a good old time trying to. Thank Good-bye. you for having me. You're I'll, so welcome. I'll, def- and, I'll definitely and be participating again in the future. Absolutely. Well, there there is one we know for a fact we've got you down uh, having pre-booked... An August event for uh, 2002. Also, so. also surrounding the rumours of me being Australian. <laughs> so look forward to that. Uh, and yeah, thank you ever so much for joining me. And uh, I will, I will see you guys listening to this on the other side of whatever things I put here. And I will see you hopefully very soon, Duel. So thank you so much for coming on, man. Love you loads. Well, thank you for having me, LT. Thank you. You're very welcome. April 16th, Deadlock Pro Wrestling brings the best professional wrestling on the East Coast to Raleigh, North Carolina with DPW Forever. Scheduled to appear, DPW World's Champion Bojack, Biff Busick, Rosemary, Hiroyo Matsumoto, The Workhorseman, Anthony Henry and J.D. Drake, Chris Danger's NDA, Colby Carino, Cheeseburger, Lucky Ali, Kid Bandit, Gringo Loco, Diego Hill, Donnie Ray, Mason Miles, Sawyer Wreck, and more. Tickets available now at dpwtix.com. Don't miss out on this event from the hottest pro wrestling company on the East Coast, Deadlock Pro Wrestling. Started in 2015, the Bar Godcast was started by three mates looking to watch and critique every WrestleMania in order. As Andy, Ian and Lewis explore the history of marquee WWE pay-per-views, they also have to navigate the problematic business practices of one Vince McMahon. And as a result, they now watch and review pay-per-views from other promotions. So join us as we desperately cling on to any semblance of love for professional wrestling on the wonderfully intermittent wrestling podcast, The Bar Godcast. Don't go anywhere, guys, as I actually have a special offer for you today. Ooh, exciting. But first, our regular profile segment. And today... We're shining a spotlight on a performer we tragically lost recently as we take a look at what led Scott Hall to the beginning of the Ruthless Aggression Era. Scott Oliver Hall was born on October 20th, 1958. A military child, he spent his youth constantly moving home as well as attending high school in Munich. The 1980s were the most crucial years of Hall's life. The old wrestling adage of triumph and tragedy couldn't have applied more to Hall's life at this time. The tragedy struck in 1983. Hall wrestled a man's gun away from him in an altercation outside a nightclub. Acting in self-defence, Hall shot and killed the assailant with his own gun. Though Hall was charged with second-degree murder, 
a lack of evidence saw the case dropped. Hall was deeply affected by the incident, and perhaps never recovered from it. His best friend Kevin Nash would remark decades later that Hall developed PTSD from the incident, which Nash said was the root of Hall's very public history of substance difficulties. But triumph would soon strike once more as Hall began his wrestling career in 1984 in the now-revered National Wrestling Alliance territory CWF, Championship Wrestling from Florida, feuding with one of the men who trained him, the legendary Dusty Rhodes. Hall would enjoy great success in the American Wrestling Association, where his impressive physique and stature earned him the name Big Scott Hall. The charismatic Hall generally performed as a babyface, and promoter Vern Garnier intended to use Hall as his replacement for Hall's future close friend Hulk Hogan after the latter was snapped up by the WWF. Hall's tag team with Kurt Hennig in the AWA helped Hall come into his own as a wrestler as the future Mr. Perfect shared his experience with his friend. Hall spent the next several years bouncing from promotion to promotion, including performing worldwide. Crucially, Hall was managed for a period by Diamond Dallas Page, who came up with a defining trait for Hall's character after the two enjoyed a meal together. The two used toothpicks to clean their teeth out, and DDP thought it would be cool to flick toothpicks at the cameras after delivering a wrestling promo. In a moment of serendipity, DDP's toothpick fell out of his mouth before the first such promo, meaning the flick immediately became Hall's signature, a trademark he used for the remainder of his career. Hall spent his 1992 in WCW lacking direction, forming short-lived tag teams, including one with the man who had become his best friend, Kevin Nash. However, 1992 had more in store for Hall. Hall would be signed to the WWF to play the character of Razor Ramon, a Cuban-American from Miami inspired by Al Pacino's Tony Montana character. Hall was so convincing in the role that many fans unfamiliar with his earlier work didn't realise he wasn't using his real accent, making him appealing to real Cuban-Americans. The slick hair, the confident walk, and the arrogant attitude made The Bad Guy an unbelievably cool character, and one of the standouts in WWF's new generation, a period that desperately needed star power. As Ramon, Hall would enjoy feuds with huge names in the industry such as Randy Savage, Ultimate Warrior, Mr. Perfect, Bob Backlund, and, in a notable WWF Championship match, challenged Bret Hart for the title at the 1993 Royal Rumble. The hits kept coming for Ramon, who even managed to look good in defeat, losing to enhancement talent The Kid, who later picked up the name The 1-2-3 Kid for his pinfall victory over Hall. Over the course of their ensuing feud, Ramon slowly showed he began to respect Kid, and in turn, the fans began to respect Ramon as he became a babyface, with him and Kid both toppling Ted DiBiase after the Million Dollar Man mocked Ramon for losing to Kid. The 1-2-3 Kid, of course, was one of the earlier ring names adopted by Sean Waltman, who'd be best known as X-Park and would become one of Hall's closest friends. Hall ended 1993 and entered 1994 with a storyline that saw him becoming Intercontinental Champion. Shawn Michaels had been stripped of the Intercontinental title some time before and returned to the ring to settle the matter with Hall. The two had a ladder match at WrestleMania to draw a line under who was the true Intercontinental Champion, with Razor Ramon coming out on top. The match is considered by wrestling journalists, wrestling historians, and WWE insiders as being one of the greatest professional wrestling matches of all time, and is easily the most influential ladder match in history, popularising the match type worldwide. 
In addition to feuding with them on screen, Hall became close-knit friends with Waltman, Michaels, Michaels on-screen bodyguard Diesel, Kevin Nash, and the rising talent Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the future Triple H. The group were known backstage as The Click, and are notorious in backstage stories from this period for their behaviour during the later part of the new generation. The simple fact of the matter is, Michaels had Vince McMahon's ear, and used and abused that fact to great effect, usually ensuring he and his friends ended up looking the strongest on a given show. Michaels, it should be stressed, was the worst offender of the group, and he'd likely admit to as much today. Nevertheless, this was where Hall began to gain a reputation as difficult to work with, whether earned or not. Eventually, Hall and Nash were offered big money deals to leave the WWF for WCW. Ultimately, the two took the deal, with Hall less interested in the money than he was the extra time off he'd received compared to his WWF deal. As Hall and Nash departed, one of the most infamous incidents in wrestling history occurred. The Madison Square Garden curtain call occurred following a non-televised main event match between Michaels and Nash's Diesel character at Madison Square Garden on the final night Hall and Nash would work for the WWF. After the match, Michaels, Hall, Nash, and Helmsley all embraced in the ring. Fans were baffled, as this was during a period kayfabe was still kept at all times, and they'd just been treated to a group of enemies embracing his dear friends. Fortunately, of course, with the match not being televised, the damage did have its limits, as only the audience in attendance really saw what happened. Although, rumour and innuendo being what it was, it didn't take long for word to get out. Hall and Nash were leaving, so couldn't be punished. Michaels was the WWF champion, so Vince McMahon could do little to punish him. As a result, Helmsley took the full force of McMahon's anger, and plans to name him King of the Ring were scrapped. Don't worry, it worked out just fine for everyone. Hall appeared on WCW television in his street clothes on May 27th, 1996, claiming to be an outsider. The implication was Hall had been sent by the WWF to destroy WCW from within. Hall would team with Kevin Nash as The Outsiders and challenged Sting, Lex Luger and Randy Savage to a six-man tag team match at the 1996 Bash at the Beach pay-per-view. The Outsiders claimed to have a mystery partner, though at the event, no such partner showed for the match. The heroic Hulk Hogan hit the ring and turned his back on the wrestling world, joining forces with Hall and Nash as their third man, forming the New World Order, the NWO. The NWO spent the next years running roughshod over WCW, and recruited a number of huge stars, including Six, the former 123 Kid, and The Giant, the future Big Show. With WCW Executive Vice President Eric Bischoff, a member of the NWO to boot, the Outsiders would usually find their WCW World Tag Team Championships returned to them on a technicality whenever they lost, frustrating fans and making for great TV. The truth is, the original NWO lineup were too cool to boo, and fans in NWO shirts filled wrestling arenas around the globe. Over time, Hall's personal problems began to become more prevalent. Hall would use and abuse substances, still suffering from the haunting memories of that horrific night in 1983. He was often in no fit state to perform, and would eventually attend rehab. In a sickeningly tasteless display, WCW turned Hall's personal problems into a storyline. 
Hall, in spite of it all, was a true professional and played his part in the storyline regardless. Come 2000, the writing was on the wall for WCW. The NWO train had not only lost steam, it had derailed completely, and fans were sick of the now bloated group, of which seemingly anyone was worthy of membership. Meanwhile, the WWF were putting on their hottest product ever. The Monday Night Wars were all over, bar the shouting. Having suffered not just with substance issues, but a series of injuries, Hall's last appearance for WCW was at February 2000 Super Brawl, where he lost a three-way dance for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship against champion Sid Vicious and fellow challenger and NWO running mate Jeff Jarrett, with Hall eating the pin. Hall spent much of 2000 inactive, but potted around Extreme Championship Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling for a period between 2000 and 2001. Then, in early 2002, with WCW dead and buried, purchased by Vince McMahon, McMahon spearheaded a shocking new storyline. The Mr. McMahon character announced he had a plan to seize Ric Flair's half of the WWF by injecting a lethal dose of poison into the WWF, killing it before Flair could. The poison in question, as it transpired at No Way Out 2002, was the NWO, Hall, Nash and Hogan. The trio feuded with Stone Cold Steve Austin in the immediate going. Things didn't go especially easy for Hall at this point, as he was on medication to curb his urges for alcohol, which was unfortunate when a plot beat required Austin to tie Hall up and duct tape his mouth shut before the beer-swigging redneck poured his favourite beverage all over Hall. The medication caused Hall to be physically sick at even the smell of beer as a deterrent, and, too embarrassed to forewarn management of this, Hall spent hours vomiting as the crew desperately tried to film the sequence. Bruce Pritchard, one of Vince McMahon's inner circle, noted that there was pushback from a number of WWF talent about bringing in Hall and Nash due to their reputation. If anything, that horrendous night filming probably earned Hall the respect and sympathy of some of those peers who'd prejudged him, recognising his commitment to the story and the script. In any event, Hall faced off against Austin at WrestleMania 18. The match was a thoroughly enjoyable encounter, and Hall seemed like the Scott Hall of old, that same incredibly capable in-ring performer who long-time fans knew was an all-time great Intercontinental Champion. Hall came out on the losing end in the match, but he helped Austin look great in the process. Austin was one such performer who'd heard things about the NWO's reputation, but Hall's professionalism and the unchanging personable nature of Austin's longtime friend Kevin Nash helped Stone Cold see the two of them weren't anything like as bad as backstage Scuttlebutt had suggested, although naturally none of that would be captured on camera for the fans watching at home. And that, of course, brings us to the beginning of our timeline. As of this episode, we're actually nearing the end of our time with Scott Hall as he would again leave the WWF very soon after this period. In spite of his personal demons, Scott Hall was not defined by them and is regarded as one of the finest workers in wrestling history. The man left a huge legacy and a string of defining moments, any one of which could have made him an all-time star, let alone all of them. But hey yo, what else could we expect from the bad guy?
Before we head out today, guys, I want to give you access to a special promotion. Now, I have to stress I haven't been paid for this at all, but I thought I'd make use of a few connections to try and get you guys something a little bit special. Now, as you may know, today's co-host, Duel, and I are part of New Legacy Inc., a group of wrestling fans who stream on Twitch and make very silly videos for YouTube. Well, NL has a lovely new partnership with WrestleCrate, and I've got a code for you guys if you'd like a bunch of free stuff. The offer is for all new subscribers to WrestleCrate, and all you have to do is head over to WrestleCrate.co.uk, sign up to a WrestleCrate subscription, and enter the code NEWLEGACY, all capitals, all one word, at the checkout. And instead of receiving the usual bonus item that new members get, you'll instead receive an entire second crate's worth of content inside your first crate. WrestleCrate sends out a box of random wrestling goodies to your home each month with content from WWE, AEW, Impact, the Indies, and the worldwide wrestling scene. You might get DVDs, poster prints, books, toys, trinkets, pretty much anything wrestling-themed, really. The one guarantee is every month you'll get a wrestling t-shirt, and hey, listen, we all know how much wrestling shirts cost, so... Look at it like this. This is how I've chosen to look at it. For the price of your subscription, you're effectively paying for a shirt, and probably paying less than some sites would charge you as well, and getting a bunch of extra stuff absolutely free with it. Now, you may disagree, but if you like wrestling, and in particular if you like a good comfy wrestling shirt, personally, I think you'd be bonkers to not at least give this a go, as there's no commitment, and you can pause or cancel your subscription whenever you feel like it. If you want to see what sort of stuff you might get, head over to youtube.com forward slash newlegacyinc. Check out John Blood's recent unboxing video. That'll give you a little bit of an idea. And of course, if you want more info, just head over to wrestlecrate.co.uk for a look around. And just don't forget to use the code NEWLEGACY at the checkout to get twice the amount you'd usually get in your first crate with a new subscription. That's it for today's episode. Hopefully you'll join us next time as we take a look at the April 25th, 2002 edition of SmackDown, the first time the blue brand has appeared on this podcast. Featured on that episode is the debut of none other than Randy Orton. In the meantime, you can send your thoughts and feedback on Backlash 2002, this period of WWF slash WWE as we come close to the name change, and your thoughts and feedback on this podcast to Twitter at RARelived or via email at ltruthlessaggression at gmail.com if you want to go slightly longer forming your messages. You can find me on Twitter at LTDangerous if you, uh, if you really want to see what kind of ramblings I vomit out onto the internet on a daily basis. You can find the show on Apple, Google, Podbean, Amazon, Spotify. Ah, you know how podcasts work. If you like the show, we'd love a nice review on Apple. It really helps spread the word a bit. Speaking of helping the show, we'll be launching a Patreon soon with bonus episodes covering extra content, including merchandise from this time period. Let me know what sort of things you guys might like as Patreon extras. That's Twitter at RARelived and email ltruthlessaggression at gmail.com. Thanks once again for listening, guys. I've been LT Fletcher, and on behalf of myself and Duel, thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time.